In modern medical research, it's a big thing today to find ways to predict our vulnerability to certain kinds of diseases. Research is looking for markers to determine if we might be at risk for cancer or diabetes or heart trouble. And if you could put the most positive spin on all this kind of thing, the reasoning would go something like this. If a person knew that he or she was a strong candidate for a particular disease, they could take as many health precautions as they possibly could and maybe stave it off for several years or even prevent it entirely. It might interest you to know that the same kind of research is being conducted to determine which marriages might be strong candidates for divorce. There wasn't much research on this in previous years, but with the pandemic level of divorce, researchers are becoming interested. And I've read several articles about that research that looks for telltale markers which try to determine which marriages are at risk. One of the best articles was sent to me, actually, from a member of our church. And the title of the article was, Can Eye-Rolling Destroy a Marriage? Can Eye-Rolling Destroy a Marriage? The subtitle read, Researchers Try to Predict Divorce Risk. The article began by saying that up to now, the medical community has had little advice for preventing divorce. But it goes on, and I'm quoting, But now a wealth of new research has helped scientists discern what qualities lead to lasting marriage or divorce. For instance, research shows eye-rolling after a spouse's comment can be a strong predictor for divorce, while marriages with traditional gender roles are often highly successful. End of quote. University of Washington professor John Gottman is a leading divorce prediction researcher. He has videotaped, he and his team have videotaped thousands of couples observing facial expressions, body language, and comments. And he and his team have calculated that strong marriages have at least a five-to-one positive-to-negative ratio of positive-to-negative interactions. That's very interesting to me. But by far, the most astounding thing that I've read comes from a recent article in the U.S. News & World Report on the findings of psychologists Cliff Notarius of Catholic University and Howard Markham from the University of Denver. And and i got to tell you, this blew my mind when I read it. And I'm going to quote again. He said, couples who will endure and those who won't look remarkably similar in the early days. Remember, think about that. Couples who will endure and those who won't look remarkably similar in the early days. Yet when the newlyweds were studied over the first decade of marriage... There was a very subtle but telling difference at the beginning of the relationships. Among the couples that would ultimately stay together, five out of every hundred comments made about each other were put down. So you have, these are the couples that are going to make it. They have 5% put downs, 95% comments that are either neutral or positive. Among couples who would later split, these are the couples that are going to get divorced, only 10 out of every hundred comments were insults in the early days. So as the article says, there's a very subtle and slight difference between those that, that would make it and those that wouldn't make it. Very narrow. But before I read the next line of this particular article, I'd like to remind you all of our underlying premise for this, this, this series on spirit-filled family living. Remember our theme is, if you sow spiritual seed, you will have a harvest of life. 
If you sow carnal seed, if you sow to the flesh, you will have a harvest of death. Now, I know that we're in Kansas. Many of you have had at least some farm background. And those of you who have planted wheat or corn or milo or whatever, you know that there are at least three principles to sowing and reaping. You always, number number one, get what you sow. If you sow wheat, you get wheat. You sow wheat, you don't get corn. You, you get what you sow. You reap what you sow. Number two, you reap later than you sow. And then the third principle, which is why farmers stay in business if they do stay in business, is you reap much more than you sow. So when you drop some seed in the ground, the harvest that you expect is manifold time the seed that you sow. Now keep that in mind and listen to the next line of this article from the U.S. News and World Report. Remember, we're talking about the couples that are going to split and the couples that are going to make it. The couples that make it, five out of a hundred positive uh, negative comments. For those that aren't going to make it, very narrow at the beginning, ten out of a hundred negative comments. Now, the article says that gap magnified over the following decade until couples heading downhill were flinging five times as many cruel and invalidating comments at each other as happy couples. So there is a broadening of that. They start out very narrow, just 10 verses 5 to 100, just two times as many. But as the harvest comes in, it broadens to a place where there are uh, five times as many negative, cruel, and invalidating comments as exist among happy couples. Now, that is the best and most up-to-date research from, the med- from medicine and psychology, and I am glad they're finally coming around because 2,000 years ago, when the Bible talks about the spirit-filled life in the book of Ephesians chapter 4, we read the best advice in the world on how we talk to each other. When you're looking at the last part of, of Ephesians chapter 4, which is where we are, you, can move, you could, if you wanted to, move into chapter 5, and you would find the specific advice about husbands and wives and parents and children and children and parents. When you move into chapter 5, the Bible says, Husbands, love your wives, and wives, respect your husbands. Uh, We can move into chapter 6, where children are to obey their parents, and parents are not to exasperate their children. But before we get to that point, we need to hear what the Holy Spirit has to say to us about the way we talk to each other. Because the way we talk to each other, the way we talk about each other, is so vitally important, and the Holy Spirit plays a vital role in this area. Now, we're going to look at one verse today, and I want to look at it in three translations. And I'll explain why in just a moment. I want us to see this in all three translations. These are in your bulletins. They'll be on the IMAG screens. We will look at this verse in the King James, which is the one that many of us are very familiar with. We'll look at it in the New International Version, which deals with, it's very accurate when it comes to translating concepts, And we'll also look at it in the New American Standard Version, which is most accurate when it comes to translating the specific words. And someone will say, well, what is the perfect translation? Well, really, the truth of the matter is, it's important that you be a Bible student. Uh, So often, we Christians in our generation are a little bit lazy. It's very important that that we understand the nuances and the difference. It's important that we understand that we get a good word for word translation, but it's also important that we understand the concept. And somebody could say, Pastor, what do you mean by that? Well, uh, consider for a moment if you were uh, translating uh, a football game for someone who did not understand English. 
I, I thought about this last night because I got a little bit of a football game last night, and the announcer said that the quarterback ran a naked bootleg. Now, if you are just translating word for word, you could do it, but I wouldn't advise it. You could get an, you could get an accurate word for word translation. So it wouldn't, it wouldn't be best. So what you would want to do is you would want to translate the concept. You would want to say the blockers went one direction, the quarterback went the other direction. That would explain the concept. So when you open a New International Version, you're getting a good conceptual translation. When you look at the New American Standard Version, you're getting a very good word-for-word translation. That's why I want you to look at this in all three translations. Here is the King James, the authorized translation, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Let no corrupt communication... Proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearers. And now the New International Version. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And now the New American Standard, as I said to you, the most accurate for words. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, that it may give grace to those who hear. Now, for those of you who've been with me for the last few weeks, we're going to take just a moment to remember where we are in our study. We're talking about the Spirit-filled family life, the Spirit-filled life. And in that, we we have three instructions. The first instruction is to put off the old self. That is the person that we used to be before we were saved. That is the old Adamic nature. The flesh is what the Bible calls it. We are to put that off. Even if you're saved, you still contend with the flesh. And the Bible says put it off. Accept your new identity. Be made new. Believe who you are in Jesus Christ. And then day by day, moment by moment, put on the new person in Jesus Christ. Now those three instructions are given to us in the last part of Ephesians chapter 4. But then God begins to get very specific with us, telling us what to put off and what to put on. And we're we're there right now. God is saying to the man or woman who wants to be spirit-filled, put off the wrong communication and put on the kind of communication that is consistent with a born-again child of God. I could ask you this morning, how many of you know that you're saved? And probably most of you would raise your hands. But even though you are saved, you can still talk like a lost person. And some of you do. So even though you're saved, you still have a battle for your tongue. Paul, uh, James rather said that if you can control the tongue, you can control just about anything. So you have a struggle with putting off that old person, not talking like an unsaved person and talking like a born again child of God. With, With these things in mind, I'd like for you just to consider two or three thoughts this morning and we'll be through. Here's the first one. I'd like for you to consider today... Our words are seeds. Our words are seeds. Every time you say a word, you are planting a seed. I stress that because I don't think the average American believes that. I don't even think the average Christian believes that. We are so impulsive today. We speak a word for the moment and then we think that word is gone. And that's it. But listen to me, friend, it's not that way. Words have staying power. That's what all this research is telling us. Husband, you don't just say a word and get it over with. It stays. It lasts. 
That particular conflict might be over, but the words last. Moms and dads, you may scream at your kids and vent your spleen and the moment passes, but don't think that the words have passed because words last and they accumulate, they store up, and frankly, they become a well from which those we love drink from. If that well is poison, if we have poisoned the well for our wives and children, they suffer. If our words are refreshing and cool and sweet, if our words are encouraging, they flourish. I wonder sometimes if we truly understand the power of encouragement. I read some time ago about a story. Dante Bartiel Roselli, Rossetti rather, was a famous 19th century poet and artist. An elderly man came to him one day and wanted to show him some of his work to see if it was valuable. And Rossetti kindly agreed to look at it. And he, he looked, but it didn't take him long to tell that the work was worthless. The old man didn't have even a, a hint of serious artistic talent. And even though Rossetti was a kind man, he had to tell him that the pictures didn't have much value. The old fellow was sorry, but he seemed to expect that, that was coming. And so he asked the artist, he said, would you, would you mind taking a look at some work of a younger man? And Rossetti gladly agreed, and he began to look at the work of this younger student, looked over the second batch of sketches, and immediately he was enthused. He said, these are good. He said, this young man has talent. Whoever he is, he needs to be encouraged. He needs to be given every opportunity because this man, this young man, can become a great artist. When the old man was visibly, deeply moved, Rossetti asked him, who is this young man? Is he your son? And Rossetti said, no, it's me. These are mine 40 years ago. He said, if only somebody had encouraged me then. Church, I just want you to know every word you say is some kind of seed. You plant it, and it's going to have a harvest someday. And beyond that, let us stop to consider that every day we say thousands of words. That's why I've called this sermon the broadcast seed. Because we spread so many words. Every day when we get up, we need to remember that we have thousands of words to invest. We have thousands of opportunities to either do good or to do harm. And let us make no mistake about it. When we open our mouths, we are either doing good or harm. And beyond that, God is listening to us. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 36, Jesus said, But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. Hey, you're being recorded. I remember when uh, reading about some of the investigations that took place in New York and New Jersey of underworld bosses and how that they were bugged and the words that they said came back to haunt them. Hey, you and I are being listened to. God is listening to us. And we ought to be very careful about what we say. On a personal note, just, just as a personal way of illustrating that, when you watch me preach, you watch me turn a lot of pages. And sometimes, like last Sunday, you watch me tear up a few of them. Now, when you see me turn a lot of pages, that's for two reasons. Number one, the words up here are real big because, as you can see me take my glasses off and put them back on, I'm 46 years old and my eyes are not what they used to be. And my words are so big that when we had just one service and the choir was up here, the bassist could read my sermon. But the second and main reason why you see me turn a lot of pages is I manuscript nearly everything I say. I, I write out everything I say. And that's sort of ironic because when I was in high school, my special event in forensic speech 
was the extemporaneous speech. In fact, I was ranked the number one speaker in North Texas when it came to extemporaneous speaking. Whenever I went to a tournament sponsored by a high school or university, I would select three topics from a hopper, and then I would have 25 minutes to prepare a seven-minute speech, which I had to give without notes. That was my special event. So I know how to extemporize. But the reason why I do this, the reason why I'm so careful about every word that I say, or at least try to be, is I'm being recorded. Not only are you hearing me, but we, have, we, we, we sell thousands of tapes. And the, broad, the sermon is being broadcast around a lot of the world. And I want to be very careful that I don't say the wrong thing. And I'm sure I, I still make mistakes, but I want to be as careful as I can be because I'm being recorded. And that's why I try to make every word count. And so should all of us in our daily living because we are being recorded. Jesus said, every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. No wonder the Bible admonishes us not to talk too much. In the book of Proverbs chapter 10 verse 19, listen to this line. When words are many, sin is not absent. But he who holds his tongue is wise. So that means that when you and I are provoked by any situation, provoked in a negative fashion, we have to remember to hold our tongues because where words are many, sin is not absent. Somebody will say, Pastor, I, I just don't feel like holding my tongue. I get mad and I just have to let it go. I want people to know what I think. I just want to give them a piece of my mind. Well, be careful about that. Most of us don't have too many pieces to give away. I can't speak for you, but I can tell you almost every time that I have spoken like that, later after I cooled down, I could have wished a thousand times that I had kept my mouth shut. You old-timers can remember a television sitcom from the 50s, The Honeymooners. Remember big old Ralph Cramden? He was always blowing off and hurting his wife with the things that he said. And after he became aware of his foolishness, remember what he used to, he used to bellow out his regret when he would say this one line, I got a big mouth. Remember that? David must have felt that way because he prays in Psalm 141 verse 3, set a guard over my mouth, O Lord, keep watch over the door of my lips. David saw his mouth as a dangerous place. He felt that he needed a guard, an armed guard, to guard his mouth. Well, let's go back to our scripture verse and get more specific. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. So what are we not to let come out of our mouths? Unwholesome talk. What is unwholesome talk? It's probably not a word. Unwholesome is not a word you use very much. Well, you know, of course, that the New Testament was written in Greek. And there are some very colorful words here for unwholesome talk. They're not pretty words, but they're colorful. The words mean rotten speech. And rotten here in the sense of something that is dead and decaying. You ever, you ever see roadkill on the road? You ever get close to something dead and see the ugliness of it? And if you get close enough to smell of it, the smell of death. That's the word that the Holy Spirit uses here when it says, don't let any dead, rotten, dying, putrefying, decaying speech come out of your mouth. Well, why does the Holy Spirit choose that term? 
It goes right back into everything that we've been talking about this summer. Remember, if you sow to the flesh, you will have a harvest of death. If you sow to the Spirit, you have a harvest of life. Why? Because the old man, the old Adam, the old nature that we inherited is dead. It's a dead man. Listen, child of God, you have, if you're born again, you have the old nature, which is the dead man, and you have the Spirit of God, which is life. All summer long, I've been pleading with you, don't sow to the dead man, don't sow to the flesh. He's dying, he's decaying, he's putrefying. Paul talked about that in Romans. By the way, if you want to study the difference between the flesh and the spirit, study Romans chapters 6, 7, and 8. And at the end of that treatise on the flesh, here's what Paul said. He said, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Now, I know I'm being a little bit gross this morning, but I want you to get a picture of what your flesh is like in the sight of God. In Paul's day, the Romans had a particularly cruel way of of punishment in some cases. They would take a corpse and bind a corpse to a living person. So every place that living person went, he was bound to a dead, decaying corpse. Oftentimes, as that corpse would decay, it would infect the living person, and sometimes the living person would die because of being bound to this corpse. That's the language that Paul uses when he talks about his flesh. He said, oh, wretched man that I am, who is going to deliver me from this dead body that is bound to me? That is your flesh and my flesh. Now, what is in this dead man that we carry around with us? By the way, let me just say something. That's why you and I have to die physically. We have to get rid of this dead man. Your spirit doesn't die. Your spirit just goes to be in the presence of God. But you've got to get rid of this dead man. Even if the rapture takes place, remember what 1 Corinthians 15 says? It says, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be what, church? Change. Yeah, see, we've got to get rid of this dead man. What's in the dead man? We've been studying it the last few weeks. It's in the last part of Ephesians chapter 4. I want to read verses 25 through 31. And as we scroll through these, see if you can find what's in the dead man that we live with. Ephesians 4, verse 25. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood, lying, anything that's not honest. That's part of him. Speak truthfully to his neighbor. We're all members of one body. Number t- verse 26. In your anger. That's another part of him. Do not sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Verse 27. Don't give the devil a foothold. Verse 28. He who has been stealing, theft, taking something that doesn't belong to us. Then verse 31, get rid of all bitterness. Bitterness is part of that old dead man that lives in us. Rage, that's part of him. Anger, brawling, that's screaming, remember? Slander, saying bad things about people. Every form of malice. Scroll through that list. That is what is in our flesh, that dead man that we live with. Falsehood, anger, dishonesty, bitterness, rage, slander, malice. All of these things, part of the dead man that lives inside of me. Now, it's one of those things, listen to me. It's one of those things to have, one thing to have those things in you. But when the Bible says, don't let any dead, decaying speech come out of your mouth, what the Bible is saying is, don't let that dead man talk. <laughs> don't let the old self talk. It's one thing to have him living in you, but don't give him a platform. Don't hand him a microphone. Don't let him talk. Take rage, for example. How many of you experience rage? You don't have to raise your hand because we all do. Amen. I mean, just something causes you to feel like blowing up. It's inside of you. And before you can deal with it, there it is. I mean, the old man is kicking up the dust of rage in your heart. 
Now, if I have rage in me, and I do sometimes, and I say to myself while I'm dealing with that, you know, that's the old man kicking up the dust of rage in my heart, and I don't think that belongs in my life, and I'm thinking about it and dealing with it, and I never let it talk, I never let him speak, you know what I can do? I can go to the Heavenly Father and say, Father, I'm sorry, I've let that old man kick up rage in my heart. That's not the life of the Spirit-filled child of God. I'm sorry, please forgive me. And the grace of God comes to me, the blood of Jesus Christ washes that rage away, and it's forgotten and gone. Amen? But if when I have rage in my heart, I hand a microphone to the old man, he begins to scream out, then it's no longer me dealing with rage that's in my heart. I have to deal with the fact that I planted seeds, and it's not just me anymore. That's exactly what the Bible is saying when it says, don't let the dead man talk. Suppose I'm aggravated with someone, someone, and I have slander in my heart. And I feel like saying something bad about that person. But before I open my mouth, I go before the Heavenly Father and I say, Father, how can a sinner like me want to slander anybody else? Father, how can someone who fails as much as I do, how can I, how can I say something against my brother and sister? And even though I've had slander in my heart and the old man has kicked it up, I could go before God and say, God, I'm sorry. And the Holy Spirit comes to me and gives me sweet comfort that the blood of Jesus has washed my sin away. And it's over. And I've dealt with it. But if when I feel a heart of slander, I hand the old man a microphone and he goes ahead and says something about somebody else. It isn't just me anymore. I can't just confess that sin and say, okay, I've dealt with it. No, because I planted some words that are going to bring a harvest someday. Do you get what I'm saying? The Bible tells us that we have a dead man inside of us. That's one thing. It's one thing to have the old nature and we have to deal with him. We have to deal with that old man. But by all means, keep him quiet. Stick a rag in his mouth. Do something to shut that old man up. That's what the Bible means in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, when it says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. A few moments ago, I read the NASV to you. I want to give it to you again. It says, Let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth. Let that be our goal this morning, church. Amen? Not even one word. Not one dishonest word, not one put-down word, not one angry word, not one word meant to cause pain. Not one word. Well, as I close out this morning, how do we plant good seed? How do we plant good seed? I want to read the verse, and we're going to go through this almost painstakingly this morning because I want you to see how you can plant a harvest of good seed that will bless you and bless your wife, your husband, your children. Let's read Ephesians 4.29 again. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Okay? How do you plant good seed? Let's, let's make it real simple right here. The Bible says we are to say words which are helpful. Okay? If you want to plant good seed, that's the, that's the bottom line right there. Say words that are helpful. Now that's our premise, but let's slow it down a little bit and let's, uh, let's take it in slow motion and see what we can pick up. Notice, first of all, you ready for this? We are to say only words that are helpful. <laughs> only. Now let me ask you a question. You evaluate what you say, I'll evaluate what I say. 
What would it do to our speaking if we said only those things that are helpful? You say, Pastor, I only say maybe 10% of things that are not helpful. Well, that's the statistic for people that are going to break, marriages are going to break up. Right? <laughs> but the Bible doesn't say, hey, see if you can reach that, see if you can reach that 5% more. <laughs> the Bible says only those things which are helpful. Well, there goes picking at people. There goes gossip. There goes criticism. Only. Let us take it again in slower motion even yet. The Bible says only what is helpful, look at this, for building others up. Now, when I talk about you, here's the thing. When I get through talking about you, you're either going to feel like someone has given you a gift or someone's taken something away from you. If I'm God's child and if I'm walking in the Spirit, whenever I talk to you, whenever I talk about you, you should feel like somebody has just given you a gift. Somebody has just built you up. So not only are we to say the things that are helpful, but only those things which build people up. Husbands, listen, the only thing you're supposed to say to your wife is something that will build her up. You say, well, Pastor, you don't know what she said about me. I want to know, are you spirit-filled? And I'm not talking about your wife. Are you spirit-filled? Because if you're spirit-filled, it's only those things which build her up. Wives, do you say things that only build your husband, builds your husband up? Your children, uh, parents, and parents, do you say those things that build up your children? Children, do you say those things that build up your parents? If your tongue is a wrecking ball, you didn't get that tool from the Holy Spirit because he says the things that build people up. And I don't want to be, I don't want to be unkind this morning, but I want to tell you, a lot of people have misunderstanding about the Holy Spirit. Don't tell me that you speak in tongues if you can't keep the one that you have in your mouth speaking words that build people up. Don't tell me you've been slain in the spirit if you can't mortify the flesh. Because when you are spirit filled, the way that we will know it is when you open your mouth, only the things that build people up will come out. If you are in the old person, if you're letting the old man talk, the things come out that tear people down. Let's go a little slower even yet. The Bible says only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. Well, that takes it another step further, doesn't it? Because not only am I saying the things that build you up, but now I have to look at what you need. Because see, at that point, I have to think about, do you need encouragement? Do you need, uh, do you need someone to kind of confront you with something that's not right? but doing, doing it in a loving way. What do you need? What are the needs? And if in the New American Standard, it says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according, it says, to, the, to their needs or the need of the moment. And then finally, only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen the King James says to minister grace. Now, I thought about this as I got ready for the sermon today. And I don't know about you, but I like things to be simple and also like to have a, a kind of a picture of what I'm supposed to do. And here the Bible says, if you're God's child, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you don't let the dead man talk. You let the Holy Spirit talk. What does the Holy Spirit say? He says only those things that build up. He says only those things that meet the needs for the moment. And then it, the Bible says that we are to, to serve grace. When you talk as a child of God, 
I want you to think about this for a moment. Have you ever been to a party and someone is walking around with a tray and says, may I serve you, would you like some coffee? Would you like soft drink? Would you like, would you like an hors d'oeuvre? Would you like dessert? And someone hands you a tray. You can take it off there if you wish. Now, if you and I are children of God, filled with the Holy Spirit, we are ministering grace. We are serving grace. So when you talk, here's what you ought to see. Husbands, you ought to see yourself walking around the house with a tray and coming up to your wife and saying, may I serve you some grace, please? A wife to her husband, may I serve you some grace? To your children, even your teenagers, Lord help us, amen. You talk about taking the filling of the Holy Spirit. May I serve you some grace? And our teenagers would probably say, boy, we we need that dealing with the parents. See, that's the child of God. It's It's not what's in my mind and ticking off what I'm bothered about and letting you know how I feel. That's the dead man. Put him to death. Stick a rag in his mouth. Shut him up. You're not taking him to heaven with you anyway. You're God's child. Walk around like Jesus did. May I serve you some grace? And if you do that, you're going to plant a harvest. And someday, you're going to enjoy that day of harvest. Stand with me, please. Father, I pray that you'll help us with this today. We all need it. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts, convict us where we need convicting, give assurance where we need assurance. And I pray, God, for every husband, every wife, every mom, dad, every young person, help us to be filled with your Spirit. And may they know that we're Christians every time that we open our mouths. In Jesus' name I pray.